Welcome to It's All Political, the San Francisco Chronicle's political podcast. I'm Joe Garfoli, the Chronicle's senior political writer, and today on the podcast, we have someone who's involved right in the middle of the impeachment process, San Jose Congresswoman Zoe Lofgren. This is her third impeachment process that she's been involved in in one way or another, and she sits down today with our very special guest host, the Chronicle's Washington correspondent, Dustin Gardner. And here is their conversation. This is Dustin Gardner, uh, Washington correspondent for the San Francisco Chronicle. I'm here with Congresswoman Zoe Lofgren from the South Bay, San Jose, Democrat. Um, Congresswoman Lofgren, you are in a unique position. You are, I think, the only member of Congress who has played a role in all three modern impeachments. Right. You started, um, your first involvement was back in 1974 when you were an aide to Congressman Don Edwards, right. your predecessor during the Nixon impeachment. Tell us a little bit about that. How did you get involved in that process? Well, Don Edwards was a member of the uh, Judiciary Committee. And matter of fact, he was the chair of subcommittee four. Um, and I was on his personal staff. In fact, I'd worked for him in Washington. And then when I went to law school, I transferred to his district office and went to law school about four blocks away from yeah. his office. So I was just a law student. I wasn't in charge of anything. I mean, I didn't play a, you know, a major role, but I was present at the scene. Yeah. And uh, during the impeachment, I went back. All the lawyers on the committee, the subcommittee, were working on impeachment. So I came back to do their work on the bankruptcy bill that he was working on, which lasted about a week. <clears throat> and then everybody kind of got caught up in the whirlwind. Um, in the end, oddly enough, I, I ended up drafting the one of the articles of impeachment, I think primarily because the other the lawyers didn't want to do it, sure. and John Conyers couldn't be talked out of offering it. Um, so I don't want to overplay the role that I had, but I was uh, there and at least able to see what was going on. And how old were you at the time, and oh, what was that see. like? Oh, let's I was 19, uh, I think I was 26, okay. um, and obviously not in charge of anything. What, what, what was that experience like as someone in their 20s being pulled into that big historic? Well, it was, um, it was historic and somber. Um, Nixon was a devious character, actually. When, when the information started coming out, what he had done, really it started with uh, the Watergate hearings and over in the Senate side. Um, and it just slowly, it was an unfolding train wreck, really, of, of misconduct on the part of the president. And, you know, I think of it sometimes now, here I am doing my job and there's some 25-year-old watching me, you know, and I'm not always thinking about that. But uh, watching the members of the House uh, on both sides of the aisle, and especially the Republicans, who, uh, for the most part, <clears throat> defended the president until in the end it was indefensible. And uh, several of them uh, voted to impeach um, mm -hmm. in the committee. And, but that wasn't the whole story, because after the final release came out and it really it became clear I mean the president basically admitted everything um, members who hadn't voted for impeachment I think of Chuck Wiggins who would I think a very conservative man principled guy um, he'd been lied to 
uh, by the president. And I think it was a, you know, he seemed uh, just looking at him. Crushed is not the right word, but really betrayed by someone who mm. he had trusted and defended. And it was, um, you know, it was a very rough time for the country. And so fast forwarding, you, you also played a role in the Clinton impeachment as a member of the, the Judiciary Committee. Right, I um, was a member of the committee then. And, and now you're still on the committee back for, for a third yeah. round. When you I wasn't here for the, for the Johnson. Um, right. <laughs> so you've missed one of the four. I missed one, that's right. Um, so of the, you, but you've played a role in all three modern um, inquiries. Thinking back to 74 and 98, wh what lessons learned are, do you take into this process? Well, I think it's, it's important to be guided by the Constitution. In the Constitution, Congress has the sole authority to pursue impeachment, and the grounds are treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. And there's a meaning for those words. And one of the things that I relied on during the uh, Clinton impeachment, and really this one as well, is a report that was done by the uh, impeachment staff back in 1974, I didn't write it. It was, there were, the staff was bifurcated in 74. They hired a whole bunch of lawyers and put them across the street in this dingy old hotel. Mm. And we never saw them. And then there was the committee staff and the personal staff of the committee members that worked on things. It was the uh, lawyers in the dingy hotel who put together the uh, very good report on what's the history, uh, you know, it really goes back to Oliver Cromwell. Uh, what are the meanings? What what impeachments had occurred in America, and what were the grounds? Very useful. It's not what people think. You don't need a crime to commit an impeachable offense. Not every crime is is a high crime and misdemeanor. It's really conduct that is so severe that it undercuts and threatens the democracy itself, the constitutional order. Mm. And I think in the Nixon case there was a finding that his conduct was so severe that it really did threaten the order. When it came to Clinton, certainly he engaged in misconduct. I mean, he um, had a, a sexual affair. He lied about it under oath. That was wrong. It was probably a crime. Did it shake the constitutional order? I don't think so. Mm. Similarly now, I mean, it's pretty clear that President uh, Trump uh, has engaged in affairs, misconduct. I mean, his former lawyer's in prison because he lied mm -hmm. <clears throat> to cover up the president's affairs. That is not an impeachable offense. I mean, that's not shaking the constitutional order. That's understandable misconduct, but it's not, it doesn't undercut the other branches of government. Yeah. In comparing the, these three cases, you've said that um, President Trump's actions appear worse than what, um, when, than what Nixon did. Why do you see that, and how, how do the two compare in terms of well, the facts? We're getting be getting the um, report from the Intel Committee uh, soon, but just looking at what's been out there so far, a, a pretty clear picture seems to have emerged that the president um, withheld the appropriated funds that the Congress and the president, for that matter, had agreed <clears throat> needed to be provided to fight off the Russians. Uh, he held that off in exchange, or tried to exchange, um, the promise of an announcement 
to get dirt on his political opponent. Mm -hmm. I mean, really, it was to use the levers of government to manipulate the election. Nixon did that domestically, um, but he didn't involve a foreign country in it. So to the extent that it involves you know, foreigners interfering in our election, it's even worse. I mean, it was a domestic burglary in the case of Nixon, not, uh, not other countries. At the same time, you... uh, There's another thing, too, oh, sure. which is Nixon, for the most part, participated. I mean, when you issue a subpoena from Congress, you have to show up. Um, and John Dean, people remember John Dean testifying in Watergate. He was the president's counsel. And he said he went over there, Ehrlichman, Haldeman, the chief of staff, went over there. In this case, the president has basically said nothing. No one comes, no papers, no, no response whatsoever to lawful subpoenas, which is astonishing, really. It's, that's never happened in history. You've talked about the importance of not wanting to rush this process. Um, I think you know during yesterday's hearing, the first hearing um, in the Judiciary Committee, you talked about you know basically saying that you you, you aren't thrilled to be in this position right. and that you think it's important that members keep a somber kind of duteous tone of, about this process. Do, do you feel like members, especially in the Democratic Caucus, are are staying true to that spirit that you're that you've evoked and the speakers evoked? It's all over the board on both sides of the aisle. I mean, uh, individual members have their own uh, views, but I would say the bulk of the Democrats are trying to pursue this in an orderly and somber fashion. On the other hand, the idea that you cannot fulfill your responsibilities under the Constitution uh, because the president asserts frivolous legal claims is very questionable. Um, I was thinking about the Harriet Myers case. I was on the Judiciary Committee when we uh, asked the president's counsel to come and testify about all the firings of the U.S. attorneys that appeared to be questionable. They refused. They asserted absolute immunity. It took us, I mean, by the time we got a resolution of that case, George Bush was out of office. Mm. I mean, the, the litigation went beyond the term of, of the office. So the cases are completely on the side of you must comply with the subpoena. Judge Jackson's decision uh, most recently at the trial court relative to Don McGahn, wasn't just that they were wrong. There was no basis whatsoever for their, their case. Um, so to say that we have to wait for two years for a completely frivolous assertion, is, is, that's very troubling. Yeah, I mean, yeah, in that vein, I wonder, do Democrats have much choice if the White House is going to refuse to comply with these subpoenas for, you know, various interviews, records? Do, do you have much choice other than to advance this to a vote? In, well, in the question the, is weighing what evidence we have and whether it's clear or not clear. And I can't answer that today. Sure. Uh, but we will be getting the report uh, from the uh, Intel Committee not just you know the testimony, but they have a huge amount of documents they're going through, and then we'll have to do an assessment of where we are on this. I'm curious, what are you hearing from constituents about this? How often is it coming up? Is this the number one topic? Is it in the in the top set of topics you hear from people about? I think you know it's my district is one where uh, uh, Trump didn't get very many votes. He got like a little over 20 percent of the vote. Um, so it's not like 
people in, at home are big fans of uh, Donald Trump. Having said that, there's a place for an election and there's a place for an impeachment. If you have a policy difference, that's for the election. The impeachment is something completely different. Whether his behavior threatens the constitutional order to the point where you have to act before the next election, that's what we're questioning, what we're weighing right now. Um, I'd say you know people are very worried about the president uh, and his behavior at home, but there are so many other things that people are concerned about, uh, traffic, homelessness, um, the cost of college education, the cost of prescription drugs, immigration issues. I mean, there's a lot of things that people want to talk about that are important. In, in terms of public opinion, m many of the recent polls have showed that the public hasn't been moved by many of these hearings. Should Democrats be concerned about that? And what can Democrats do to get public opinion on their side with this? Well, you know, it's not a, it's not a, an election. It's, you know, the, under the Constitution, we are uh, supposed to make this decision. You know, when a majority of the American public thinks the president ought to be impeached and removed, that's a pretty shocking number. But that can't be the decision. The decision has to be, has he committed bribery, treason, or other high crime and misdemeanor? Does it threaten the constitutional order to the point where we have to act? And that can't be an outsourced decision. Congresswoman Zoe Lofgren, thank Thanks you so much. much. I'd like to thank you all for listening. I'd like to thank Congresswoman Lofgren for coming on to the podcast today. I'd like to thank Dustin for sitting in and doing a great job guest hosting today's episode. And I'd like to thank the great one, Karen Creighton, for producing today's episode. And remember, whether Trump gets impeached before Christmas or not, it's all political. It's all political as part of the San Francisco Chronicle podcast network. Audrey Cooper is our editor-in-chief. Our music, our theme music that we have is Cattle Call. That's written by Randy Clark and performed by Randy Clark and Crow Song. If you like this show, subscribe, rate, and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. For more great journalism like this, subscribe to the San Francisco Chronicle at sanfranciscochronicle.com slash subscribe. You can find me on Twitter at Joe Garofoli. Thanks. <laughs>